Welcome to Shed Life, eh? Let's do it. Welcome, everybody. Today, we're joined by Anthony. He's a scientist uh, who's currently doing his doctorate out in Toronto, Canada. He's uh, grew up and previously educated in uh, London, UK. How are you today, Anthony? Doing brilliant. It's wonderful to be in the shed. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Much appreciated, mate. So you're, today you're going to talk to us about some sciencey stuff. Just start by telling us what, what, what are you researching at the moment? All right. Well, um, I'm in the really interesting space of uh, cell therapy and stem cell regeneration, which <clears throat> is a bit niche, a bit unique, which is, uh, I think, why you want me on the shed, right? You want to you wanna let these good people know what's, what's happening in the medical world and the future isn't bleak. I think that's, that's what it is. Yeah, well, you, obviously you can tell by the title of this pod that we're expecting some crazy revelations to be told. So, yeah. I'll be glad sure. to hear. So, um, just a bit about my PhD project right now. Um, I'm working in a, a lung regeneration lab. I'm working with a professor who is actually a lung surgeon. And what we're trying to do is come up with novel therapies to try and combat some of these lung interstitial diseases that affect um, elderly people. And this kind of ties into aging. I think we're going to speak a lot about aging because aging is the uh, progressive degeneration of tissues, which leads to vital organ uh, functions are being being completely removed in some cases. So um, we're going to talk about regenerative medicine. We're going to talk about cell therapy and and stem cells and kind of what I'd like to propose to you, uh, good shed leader, is what do you know about stem cells before I go into it? <laughs> good shed leader. Keys to the shed. I'm the gatekeeper, me. Um, yeah, I'm not going to pretend to, to know and be very technical, but I did do some reading up before before getting you on because I don't want to sound uh, really stupid. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure um, what it means, but I can give you a, a general description of why i think the stem cell is Uh, it's basically just a it's um it's a cell which has a sort of uniqueness to it where it can develop into a sort of a specialized cell i believe like inside the body like i said i don't know what that means you might have to tell me more about that that's that's not bad i think you hit the hammer you hit the nail with one out of two points so a stem cell is true. It's a cell that has potency. It's a cell that is able to divide and differentiate into multiple different lineages and turn into basically 220 different cell types of the human body, which is on average what we have. Um, depending on the potency of the stem cell, you know, some stem cells can't turn into all of the cells. You've got totipotent, pluripotent. There's different, different levels of potency that a stem cell can do. Um, but one of the other most important things is that the stem cells have the ability to self renew. So you've got this stem cell niche in every organ and the stem cells are supposed to self renew and differentiate down into the cell types that are needed. If you say you have an injury or if something happens and you just need more cells. So it's a very unique, these two properties are very unique to stem cells. And we've kind of come to the revelation that, that we have three different types of stem cells in our body. Uh, we've got adult stem cells, we've got embryonic stem cells, and you've got totipotent stem cells, which are the most pluripotent. They can turn into everything, even your uh, placental tissue. So there's different strategies for getting stem cells out of the human body. And, you know, you know, I've seen stem cells all over. I've seen stem cells in products when I go to a shopper's drug mart. Oh, stem cells, added rejuvenative capabilities. And 
you know, hopefully this podcast can kind of shed some light on what stem cells are used for and stem cell tourism, which is the negative effects of stem cells, because people get very misguided easily. I sure, I sure was before I started my doctorate. That's kind of what got me into stem cells. It's, oh, they look so cool. But what's they, what are they really about? So that's what we can go into a, a bit of that stuff. I like that when you said shed some light. That's pretty, pretty nice play on words. So we, we love that kind of stuff. Here. So uh, well, let me ask you, where, where, where are these stem cells found in the body? How many do we have? You know, how do we store them? Are they replicated? What happens? Is it the more we have, the more healthier we are? Or how does that yeah, actually work? It's a good question there because from what we understand, our, our stem cell pool and I like to refer to it as a stem cell niche because what I've learned in my doctorate is you can't define a stem cell or any cell by its name. I'm sure you've heard T cell. I'm sure you've heard of a B cell or a liver cell. But really, we've got to look at what that cell is expressing and not look at just the name or the title. So stem cells in themselves, they, they are kind of, you know, we have a finite amount of stem cells as we grow older, but they do have the ability to self-renew, which is key. and turn into the other cells when they're needed but um, from my readings of the literature which during the pandemic I've done so much more um, what what I've come to understand is that every organ has its own number of stem cells and as we age this stem cell pool actually decreases and I think that is one of the key concepts the key uh, drivers for aging of humans is that between the ages of zero to 30, when we're in peak, peak time, peak high levels of stem cells in, in each organ, each pool is replenished very well. As soon as you kind of surpass that 30 to 40, we don't know exactly the time, your stem cell pool actually starts to decrease. So something as simple as repairing, you know, a tissue in your, in your body becomes a bit more harder you, you're losing that stem cell niche you're losing the number of stem cells that are able to repair that damage which would lead to deficient repair mechanisms which would lead to a decrease in the stem cell pool which is known as stem cell exhaustion which inevitably will lead to a bad um, bad repair and that kind of leads to diseases and that all of those diseases make a play on each other and it kind of ties into my my project because my project is very specific to trying to replenish this stem cell pool um i'd love to tell you i'd love to tell you exactly like what the what the phd is is about mm. you know. so we're saying um just to go back on that stem cell so basically to really um keep it simple the more stem cells we have in our bodies the healthier we are is that what we're trying to say yeah you can yeah you can if you want to just like give a little one-line sentence to the public yeah you could say that but it's very important okay. that you have stem cells that match you know, when someone has a, has a blood cancer, they go undergo something called a bone marrow transplant. They basically ablate all of their cells in that one area. And you want to replace those cells with stem cells that match the donor so that you don't have something called gro um, uh, graft versus host disease or immune rejection. You don't want those cells to actually be attacked by the immune system. So matching is very important. But chemotherapy works. You know, I've had friends that have gone through cancer and they survived based on chemo and bone marrow transplants. So it's, it's really amazing some of the, the technologies that we've learned over the years. Okay, so these um, these stem cells, like you said, the matching, it does almost work like having a um, uh, an organ transplant where you have to have the right match, whether it's a sibling or a close family member or a stranger, yeah. just with yeah. the same, same sort of 
biological background which you know needs it to survive the same thing exists with stem cells that's all we're saying yeah yeah i mean you've got these proteins on the each cell surface called the major histocompatibility complex and that basically allows you to interact with other cells in your body and as long as your cells match and they know that that cell is of the same origin as you it won't attack that cell but if it doesn't match then you're going to have some you know, you're going to have some adverse reactions. And this is how a lot of autoimmune diseases come about, is that cells don't recognize their own cells, and they start to attack the body. Um, and there's a lot, there's a lot of autoimmune diseases, you know, there's a lot of things that, um, that the body, I mean, as perfect as the body is, it's not, it's not 100%. You know, so that's why we have things like cell therapies. And basically, a cell therapy is, finding a ways to take someone's cells. You've got something called an autologous therapy or an allogeneic cell therapy. Autologous just means you take a patient's cells, do some type of biomedical engineering process and put those same cells back in the patient. You know that they're going to match. You know that they're, they're the right one. Um, and it's, it tends to be a more successful treatment. You've got allogeneic uh, cell therapies where you take, say, your cells, your cells from the shed, do some biomedical treatment and then put them in me bit more risky it may not match so my, my phd project is based on autologous cell therapy we're trying to take um cells from a patient do something to them and then put them back in that patient in an autologous manner okay interesting i mean a lot of those words i didn't seem to understand but i'm hoping a lot of the public will so that's all that matters just just back on the yeah. stem cell um stuff we said and we were obviously alluding to um, transplants, for example, or cell therapy, as you mentioned. Is there no way the human body itself can regenerate and um, repopulate these stem cells to actually grow the number in a certain part of the body? Does it have to be through not invasive measures, but external measures, if you like? Well, there are, I mean, in terms of what you can take to replenish your stem cell pool, like, I guess, a pill, over-the-counter drug, no. I can't think, but there are obviously, there's many things that you can do to live a healthy lifestyle. And I think I'd like to, when we get onto the topic of aging and like trying to reverse aging, I think that's when I'd like to talk about some of the methods that people can employ to, to prolong their life. And to, you know, if we're saying that the stem cell pool decreasing is a key, is a key cause for the propagation of diseases that are related to aging, then what can we do to replenish that pool? And there are certain chemicals, but in the respects to you know modern day medicine and cell therapy like if I tie this back to my project and why I'm so passionate about my project is that I, I wanted to do a PhD that I can see translational aspects I don't want to just look research protein a and then you know put it in a mouse and see oh protein a is necessary it had to be a bit deeper than that there had to be something that would affect humankind so um, you know, I, I, we just spoke about how a stem cell can turn into any type of cell, right? That's that's the true true definition of a stem cell, uh, along with its self renewal capability. But in 2016, uh, Nobel Prize winner actually Shinya Yamanaka he discovered something called an induced pluripotent stem cell. So we're going from a stem cell to an adult cell. That's the typical. That's what we've just been talking about for the last 15 minutes. He discovered there's a way that you can take any cell of your human body, say a skin cell and actually go back to a stem cell. And if you just think about that reversal of, you know, just, just going the opposite way, think of the possibilities that have now come about. And my, my PhD is really based on that concept um, and, and relating it to lung diseases. If there's a disease called idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, 
where there's deep fibrotic scarring in the lung. So if we're able to take some of those cells in the good part of the lung that don't have this fibrotic scarring and reverse them back into stem cells and then put them back into the patient, we have now discovered a new way to repopulate that person's um, degenerated cells and actually, you know, they're his own cells. So it's, you know, this autologous cell therapy approach. And and you wouldn't need something, say, like a lung transplant, because I've seen lung transplants. I've seen surgeons go at it for 10 hours straight. And, you know, it's uh, I applaud them because I can't even stand on my feet for more than one hour. So I've, I've seen some things in the operating room that are really remarkable. And and just some of the, you know, especially with the frontline workers right now, like how we're appreciating them. I appreciate them all the time because I, I just just that 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 gear of overdrive. You know, a ten-hour operation is crazy to me. It, it really, uh, yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Um, this this concept you had about if you're having a transplant, a lung transplant, for example, you're almost getting a fully grown, fully developed lung and putting that into another patient. Yeah. Um, with the reversal of aging that you talked about, these cells, is there a sort of worry that? by reversing it, you're actually kind of making it lose its development properties. So it may not even be fully developed to a stage where it can exist as a lung within the human body, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So do you know what I mean? Like obviously it takes time for these to develop and grow and learn how it works into the, into the human body with the rest of the the organs and stuff. If we're just reversing the, the age of it. So well, if, we're, if, we're, if we're talking about organs, like we're talking about whole organ transplants um, in, in my kind of practice. So like we're talking about literally taking the whole left lung of someone that's died, you know, of a very, very sudden cause of death, like a, a brain hemorrhage or something like that. And the lung is still viable. So they put the lung on something called an ex vivo lung transplant system, which basically um, is assessing the lung function for up to four hours. And then it will say, this lung is good for transplant put in human. Um, if that lung is not good for transplant, if it's not like suitable, you know, there's certain things like the metabolite levels are not good, protein levels are not good, the oxygen saturation is not um, sustained, then that lung, if they have research consent, would then go to someone like me. And that's when I would do my experiment. So when you're ticking that box for research consent, it's, you know, and the lung is not good, that would be going to a research institution such as the one I work at. And that's what we would be using our human material. Um, but, it, you know, kind of to add to your question, when we're talking about cells themselves, there's been a lot of um, a lot of studies using bone marrow mesenchymal stem cells. I think that's the most common cell type for um, stem cell therapies, because, you know, what I mentioned earlier with the major histocompatibility complex, this cell type actually doesn't have that. It doesn't have that protein, which means that when you inject those cells into a human patient, um, the cells will kind of almost be receptive to it and won't won't be trying to fight those cells because it's missing this kind of um, matching protein. It's not it's not being interrogated by your own cells, so it's just going to be received a lot better. And they have a lot of anti-inflammatory benefits. Um, you know, people are injecting them into uh, cases of osteoporosis in their knees because they would remove that inflammation and hopefully rejuvenate that extracellular matrix, uh, the synovial fluid that's in your kneecap, which could kind of alleviate some of the pain and the discomfort that people have in their, in their joints. 
Oh yeah, okay. Oh, that's pretty interesting. I definitely so very technical. Definitely, I had I went on a fifteen k run two days ago, and my knee is obliterated today. So mm-hmm. I, I may be trying to use some of these stem cell therapies for myself. Um, one question. You know, we're talking about regeneration of cells and organs, if you like, and transplants. Something about livers, for example, how they can almost regenerate and grow to a certain, uh, I don't know, full capacity. I don't know if I've got that statement correct. Mm-hmm. How is that tied into stem cells, for example, and or is that completely different, maybe, type of science we're talking about? Well, the liver is actually known to be one of the most regenerative organs in our body. Like That's, that's, that's a fact, and that's cool that you know that, because there are certain organs in the body that are just known, I think, in, a, in one of the cases, in a liver-lung transplant, you can just take a smidgen of someone's liver and, and it will repopulate into a full organ. That, that's amazing. And, I'm, you know, in terms of liver, it's not my organ of speciality, but I'm sure it has something to do with that stem cell niche and the ability to divide and proliferate and create more liver cells, which are called hepatocytes, and just repopulate that organ. I'm sure it has something to do it. But if we compare it to, like, the brain, neurons are not very regenerative. When you get brain damage, you know, you're kind of stuck as it is. It's it's a very limited regenerative organ. Um, so there's definitely, definitely ties into their stem cell niche. I know that the, I think in the brain, they're called neural precursor cells, um, uh, neural progenitors. And, and they have been shown to regenerate depending on the environment that you put them in. Now, there was a really cool study that I read that if you put young neural stem cells into an uh, say an old person's brain we call it the an old extracellular matrix it's actually the extracellular matrix that causes the like causes the environment so since it was from an old patient um it actually had negative effects on those young cells but if you flip it if you take someone's aged neural stem cells and put them on a young person's matrix um that matrix was able to rejuvenate those aged cells so there's a very complex interplay between the the stem cells and the environment that they're in that we're really trying to tap into now in this in this kind of regenerative medicine space. So the, there is there is an opportunity potentially um, to almost reuse these this high pool of stem cells that we think are there in the liver, which are highly regenerative, regenerative to move those into other parts of the body where maybe the stem cell pool is not so um, like congested to try and help regenerate certain aspects of that. And that, that again, then goes back to, we don't need to use maybe transplants or uh, stem, stem th- uh, cell therapy. We can just potentially move them from one, one part of the body into yep. another, another, another area. And that would be your autologous cell therapy, right? That would be taking your cells, using them somewhere else because they're a match for your own, your own body. Uh, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done on that. But I think the risk with all of this is that we're trying, uh, we're testing these compounds, stem cells in vitro, basically outside of the human body and even in mouse models, which is in vivo. And these are just the, the, the wordings for, the, for these type of experiments. But when you take it to the translational side and you try and put it in a human, you know, we're talking 10 years of research just to get to that point. And, you know, when you have one, human death that that cell therapy that clinical trial will go to shit like it's just 
the amount of money that's pumped into these biotechs that are trying to trying to get out these these therapies so quickly it's not like app development where in one or two years you can see the turnover because there's no there's not much risk um life risk i know there's risk in in you know startups with it, which are used based on apps and software but there's not the risk to human health and that's that's the main thing that we care about is you don't want to yeah, sign up your old granddad for a self-therapy that he may die albeit maybe he's terminal so what's the risk he's going to die so may as well sign him up for this but um there's there's normally option a b and c for kind of treating a disease you know so humans we're so we're so amazing and complex and actually naive sometimes that you know it's, we do things with a heavy heart it's it's a difficult sometimes when you're in this 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 space trying to define your your purposes for doing these things no of course of course but i can imagine though if you if you are running a trial like you said and if 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 one if one member of the trial does happen to die there's obviously going to be a a, a big sort of post-mortem to actually see the causes right because it could actually be nothing to do with the actual tr- uh, treatment that's being trialed could be something totally different perhaps and then sure. in that case you may still have you may still have a uh, successful trial potential and, and they will they will look into everything you know the the post-mortem they'll they'll check everything in the in the autopsy you have to find what the key cause was um because the fda uh you know america say whatever you want about america but the fda is the gold standard for um putting something into the market or having a cell therapy become confirmed like it's very rigorous uh, each each country has their own set of regulations. I know Japan. You know we got phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four. That's the typical uh, typical plan for getting something onto the market. And all my work is actually preclinical. It's discovery research. So I don't really fall into that bracket of commercializing a therapy after it's you know gone through fa- uh, those four phases of clinical trials. But if you look at something like um, COVID nineteen, like what's happening, you can see the rapid activation and kind of conglomeration of people that are working together and they're trying to put out a vaccine in one year and i heard that they're in phase one clinical trials with humans right now and you know covid19 uh, conspiracy theorists say whatever but it's been around for about four to five months that's really fast the fact that, that we got something in phase one clinical trials to, to find a, a vaccine we're, we're going we're, we're kind of stepping we're jumping some boundaries right now. We're not following the typical progression of a cell therapy, you know. So they're definitely, but but humankind's at risk. You know, it's a it's a pandemic. So so with no, of course, yeah, good cause. Um, just staying on that vaccine subject, actually, that's quite interesting. Have you got any experience of working with vaccines? And you know, at the, the, the stage you mentioned, was it preclinical trial or whatever? Um, yeah. What kind of work goes in from your end into into producing a vaccine of some sort? Well, I I can't really get onto the whole. We could do a whole nother shed podcast on vaccine and anti vaxxers right? Like that's that's I've watched so many videos on that. Um, I think we should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think what people are what people you know the anti vaxxers they're misinformed, right? Because we've all received vaccinations growing up. Well, you and I, growing up in in England, I know I know what vaccines we got, and basically a vaccine is you know it's it's the non replicative version of that uh, pathogen. So they're putting in something into your body that shouldn't replicate, shouldn't actually 
take control of your body. But the whole point is that you have an adaptive immune system. So when you're exposed to this foreign um, antigen or pathogen, something that's going to attack your body, this foreign substance, your body is now recognizing it in its low dose form. And it's going to then create something called B antibodies, um, B cells, sorry, which create these antibodies, which will give you that long time, that lifetime uh, kind of immunity to it. If you're then, then if you then come to the real thing, because you have these antibodies that are very specialized, that will re- re- like they will they will tag onto that one protein on that foreign substance's surface. They become specialized and they they repopulate and they reproduce and then they just go and hide. But when they see that um, that foreign antigen again, they're going to just divide like crazy and go and attack it and kill it. That's what the whole basis of a vaccine is. I know that there's some instances where vaccines have killed children, and and that there's you know there's the there's the the bad. You know, I haven't read too much about the bad because I'm I'm so focused on the benefits, which maybe that's my naivety. But I I can't really you know, my my whole my whole experience in vaccine is not. I don't know too much about vaccines, but I know about viruses because I actually need to use virus to actually infect my cells to turn them from this adult cell back to a stem cell. So I do know about viruses, um, and, but but vaccines is this whole another kettle of fish, mate. That's that's like that's that's its own thing, and you really need to be a specialist to talk about that confidently and especially addressing no, the sure. public. No, of course, yeah, of course. Um, all right, well, we went a bit off topic. That was my bad. So. Um... Why don't you talk to us more about your uh, your PhD and your, the hot topic, which is why you're here today, how we can all uh, reverse our age like Benjamin Button, basically. <laughs> yeah, Benjamin Button, that's, that, that's real stuff there because that, I mean, all the things that we've, you know, it's all fantasy, isn't it? When we think about aging, we're all like, oh, how do we get younger? My parents are old. I'd love to incorporate, I'm going to share this podcast with them and just hopefully they can, they can you know, take some <laughs> of the, the inspiration that I'm given. Because we as we as humans we're we're finite. We're we're meant to be on this earth for however many years. And this kind of plays into the ethics um of it, you know, is it sacrilegious that we should we we should live forever? Like who who's who's God? Who's playing God? And that's what's really scary about these these induced pluripotent stem cells. The fact that we can go from a an any cell type back into a stem cell, you can just think. We we now have the ability to turn to, to create embryonic stem cells, we can actually create new life. Um, and that goes all the way down. Now, now we're talking religion and playing God. But we have that capability. A, a scientist uh, in China just got jailed for three years because he actually, he actually like genetically manipulated embryos. And those, those twins, he was basically trying to remove the HIV, like the parents had HIV. And he tried to remove that HIV by ed- uh, genetically editing the genome of these two twins. And those two twins were born. Um, and actually, it was a it was a success. But you're playing God, and he got jailed. He did he did a lot of you know he did a lot of things that he wasn't supposed to. Uh, so so we're we're kind of really on the verge of playing God, and that's scary. That to me, it's so exciting, but it is it is scary because the, the I think now the fact that we've been able to go from a skin cell to a stem cell, really the possibilities are endless, and just kind of playing onto that with aging like if i asked you what's aging what what do you think aging is good shed leader what do you think getting old getting old getting gray losing hair uh getting hunchback you know getting 
more likely to get diseases and um yeah that's it i guess i mean that's, that's a very generic that, way of saying and it. that's kind of how we all play on it and that's what we're scared about but from the more reading that I've gotten, I actually, I'm starting to embrace aging. I'm starting to appreciate aging and it actually makes you appreciate your youth a lot more because you, you kind of think about the, the, the probability of you actually being conceived and being born is like 400 trillion to one. This is with the, you know, that, that number is not just based on fertilization of the sperm and the, the egg. It's like based on your parents meeting, then them falling in love and then having sex and sex being successful and that. So those odds are crazy. And then you start to really appreciate that you're significant. And then you start to appreciate that every day counts. And then you start to do good. Because when you get to 40 plus, if you think about the body as just this kind of rolling clock, typically at the range age of 40, most people would have bred, they would have kids, they would have a family, most people, I know not everyone, and that's fine. But you've kind of done what you're supposed to have done on this planet. And that's why I think that as we get older, we start to lose our repair mechanisms just because just over evolution, a species is supposed to be there for as long as it is. And once it's done its job, it's time to go. So by increasing aging, um, the, the, the time of aging, I think Sorry, it's, man, we're losing you a little bit of... on the recording. Just to oh, okay, repeat okay. that we're losing you slightly. Sorry is about it, that. Is it better now? Is it better now? How are we doing? Are we all right? Perfect. That's good, mate. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. Sorry about that. I tried to get into a better... I was getting really inspired there by talking about aging. I had to like get into a new position. I was <laughs> sitting on my chair. <laughs> it's a problem with technology, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So what? where was I? What, what, was, I, what was I talking about? Was it just aging in general? <laughs> yeah, I think we were still on aging, yeah. <laughs> all right, so... So just, I mean, if we go back to aging, we're just going to talk about like, how do we slow aging? And I think um, I want to give an analogy for like what, how, how aging works. You know, if, if we look about, if we talk about your phone, um, you have the hardware of the phone and you have the software of the phone. So let's, let's look at your, the hardware being your genome, which is your actual DNA. Let's look at the the software being something called the epigenome. And this is what I've really been working on and reading about. So your genome, we all get the same number of um, homologous chromosomes, those 23 pairs, and that's your DNA. Our DNA is the same, but it's, you know, every cell has the same DNA, literally. It's, it's the same DNA. But your epigenome is this next layer. It's the next level. The epigenome is what turns genes on or off. Um, and that is a very, very in like, it's a very specific network of, of genes being turned on, being turned off. And I think the only reason why we age is that the repair systems become complacent and it's really tied to the epigenome, which controls which genes are on or off. So when we talk about how can we prolong aging, I think one of the key things is actually being stressed. And I don't mean just being stressed and being down and being upset. I'm talking biological stress. Um, one of the key things of the most stressful thing for a cell is actually breaking its DNA. When you break DNA, like the double strand, when you, you know that we all know the DNA double helix, when you create a nick or you break that DNA, that cell has to basically, it, it, it basically has to open that DNA, repackage that DNA, 
and repair it and stick back the DNA, recruiting proteins from different places. And that leads to the cells. What we think is the cells lose their youthfulness um, and they lose their youthful gene expression pattern. So they lose their identity. And this kind of turning genes on or off becomes very unregulated. And, and you can imagine if you have a cell in your brain, like a neural cell that is having genes that are turned on to say, you are a brain cell, you are a brain cell. And then suddenly you have a gene turn on to say, you are now a liver cell, you are now a liver cell. These, this is going to kind of, they're going to compete and this cell is not going to know what to do. It's going to start acting uh, uh, kind of randomly and then it can lead to other things. And like, there's a lot of key hallmarks of aging, Like there's actually nine hallmarks of aging that, that have been discovered and, and that's what people's research are working on and I'm working on too. What, what are some of these hallmarks of interest? Are they physical hallmarks that we can all see from the like human eye or is it oh, how def- you feel or is it more technical? It's definitely technical there, Shed Leader. It's, it's oh, getting, okay. We're okay. getting into the real science. We're getting into, there's nine hallmarks, one of them being gen- genomic instability. That's like your, how stable is your DNA in these cells? There's one called um, t- telomere shortening. On the end of your DNA, you have something called these caps. And basically, when a cell divides, the caps, they become smaller and smaller and smaller. When the cap disappears, that cell then goes on to become a zombie cell. It's, it's called something called cellular senescence. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's, that's one of the actual main causes of my disease of interest is cellular senescence. These cells become zombie-like way too early. And there's so many of them that, and they're the stem, the, the key thing about my, my project is that they're the stem cells that actually become senescent. So then you lose that. Um, that kind of differentiation capability when you get a lung injury because you've lost your cells, your stem cells, and now they can't repair that that default. So, so that that's kind. Of, it's like a it's like a negative negative feedback loop. But you know, just to just to kind of talk about how you know, just for that one hallmark of aging, telomere shortening. There's been there's been um, tests in animal models where you can upregulate the telomere gene to give you longer telomeres and that actually extended life of the mouse so you have one mouse where you don't give them the, this upregulation of the telomere gene and this other mouse that you do and because you've increased the telomere length when that cell divides it does get shorter and shorter but because you've increased the length it takes a longer time for that that um, cell to become senescent thus you have prolonged life you've, you've increased longevity and I think that's what they're trying to now incorporate some of these mouse models into the human system. And, and you know, that's going to be kind of one of my interests is that I'm going to look at aged tissue and see how long those telomeres are. I'm going to look at young tissue and see how long those telomeres are. I'm going to do something to the aged cells and hopefully those aged cells can then look like those young cells. Thus, we've rejuvenated those aged cells. Just as an uh, example. No, that's cool. If, if you can go back and just... Um... Tell us what these zombie cells are, because that sounds like a pretty cool term, and uh, just want to know more about that, basically. Yeah, I mean, a cell has, uh, in 1960, there was a scientist called um, Dr. Hayflick, and he, he defined something called the Hayflick limit, and that basically is that any cell has um, a finite capacity. A cell is not going to live forever, just like humans. Once a cell has done what it has done, it's time to go on, and, and it goes undergoes something called apoptosis, which is a programmed cell death. So that means that there's certain compartments that that cell, sorry, would then bind with another cell. It re, that cell will release um, enzymatic components from the lysozyme into that um, 
apoptotic cell and it will basically degrade that cell. When a cell undergoes cellular senescence, which is this zombie-like term, that cell is now getting programmed for cell death. Because if you think, if we relate this to cancer, all cancer is, is the uncontrolled cell division. It's the rapid propagation of cells, proliferation of cells. And, and you know, once, once the cell, a cell has basically a clock, it's something called the cell cycle. It, it goes from, uh, you know, if you just kind of like an analogy going from gear zero in manual stick shift all the way up to gear five, there's certain checkpoints like revving the engine. When, when, a, when a cell gets to checkpoint one, it wants to go into gear one, it needs to make sure that it, is, it has all of the components ready to go to stage two, gear two, stage three. So when, when a cell becomes kind of dysfunctional, it loses that cell cycle control. And thus, once you've lost that, that regulation, a cell will just keep going in that spinning wheel and turn into a cancer cell. And, you know, we have, then we have no control over that cell. And, and basically, these cancer cells will just take over organs. It will take over that stem cell niche because we don't, we, you know, the stem cell niche needs to be there. But you have so many of these cancer cells that are now populating the organ. You don't have any space for those, those key functional cells. And that leads to, to organ failure. Interesting. Very interesting. But all right, using your car analogy, uh, the zombie cell, um, would you say what? You're in like fifth gear or something? And like you can't go any higher, but it's still, I don't know, it's getting ready to only thing it can do is uh, I, I, maintain maintain you, or uh, I decelerate. Think, I think when it's a zombie cell, you're actually in like you're in reverse. I think oh, I think that cell yeah, that cell has All no right. idea what's going on. It's it's <laughs> senescing, it's it's you know, that cell should go under undergo apoptosis and die. But if it doesn't, it's just gonna stay there. And then it's going to get, then there's going to be more zombie cells. And then you're just going to become, that organ's going to become a zombie. So it's, uh, kind of a, okay. it's kind of a scary phenomenon if you think about it, because we're made up of how many trillions of cells? And, you know, only 1% of our cells are actually senescent cells. But we have that repair mechanism and the regulation to, to program those cells to undergo cell death. So it's more of, and this ties into repair mechanisms. As we get older, we lose our repair mechanisms. We lose the, uh, the ability to identify good cells, bad cells. And that's what's key. And, you know, it's not conscious. You know, we can't, I can't say cell A in liver is doing this correctly. It's, and that's what comes mm. to the whole complexity of the human system, which fascinates me. Mm, so, that's awesome. Yeah, we've, awesome. Got, we've got over 220 cell types in our body. We've got over 20,000 different enzymes that are working non-stop it's it's just crazy when you and this kind of inspired the passion about biology for me is that i haven't used algebra in however many years but i know that i use biology every single day even though i don't know what's going on in my own body but that's the beautiful part of research and discovery is that the more you discover is the more you can relate it to yourself and that's kind of how i get my my clock ticking is that i i just i'm just fascinated by how my own body works and it's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's you know, cool to, to find your passion. It's cool to like. No, hundred percent. The way you talk about it, very passionate. Yeah, yeah. You're 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 really coming across as passionate, and we all uh, I'm a total yeah, admire total, that passion. Total geek. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's really really interesting the way you describe it when you're talking about the trillions of different cells and enzymes and this that, and the other. It's kind of like if you're on Earth and you're looking out into the sky, into space, and you can just envisage all these stars and 
planets that are out there, all these galaxies, like they seem never ending. And I guess the way you describe these cells, it's kind of like we're looking into outer space, but inside our own bodies with just yeah. sheer numerical sizes and oh, how yeah. things seem so small, but the way you break them down there, you know, their functionality is crazy. It's, have you it's got really have you got a passion for astrology there is that what's happening ah, right now find me an astrologer to get in the shed and then uh, then we'll, well talk. If, you, if, if you look at the neural networks of the human brain and then you compare it to the the universe you'll be very fascinated to see how similar they are that neuronal network wow. um of our brain is is insane and like i've what watched that, the like film, star constellations no deeper that than that. we're talking yeah. the we're talking the universe we're talking multiple galaxies you know we're talking like how it it's just it's just crazy mate like you've seen the film limitless right where he takes the the pill and then we reach our full brain capacity or our full potential mm. like that's yeah. that's kind of what i'm like i, I obviously i don't know if there's going to be a pill that can make us you know use our whole brain but we don't even understand. We're not even using our full brain capacity. I think, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think it was like 20% or even less than that. Um, mm. So, That's so we, we we haven't honed in on our own potential of of our own capacity even. You know, so we're, that, I think that's what separates us from other species because we are, we are so smart. We're the only species, from what I know, we're the only species that has consciousness that we are going to die. That's how we're able to work on things like aging but sadly only one percent of medical research globally is actually focusing on aging you know the other 99 percent are work, working on very very functional aspects like one disease working on alzheimer's diabetes we're not we're not focusing as a whole on aging that, that's a good question that's a good statement you put out because i think i've heard that statement before as well and the, the question i have on that is how do we know that's true like how are we aware that any other animal is not conscious of oh, their sort of, you know, demise? Yeah, like we, we surely we don't know that stuff, right? We're just assuming. Like we don't know what's really going on in their heads and what their thoughts are like, what their consciousness is like, and whether they know, yeah, we're going to die after maybe potentially X amount of years, or I'm feeling old because I've reached a certain amount of, I don't know, cat years, dog years, elephant years, yeah. whatever maybe. How can yeah. we actually say that for certain, right? definitely definitely and this is part of being a scientist is to know when to speak and when not to and i think we don't uh, we don't know exactly if it is humans because we can't plug ourselves into the brain of a rabbit and say do you know you're going to die like we we don't have that we don't yeah, have that exactly. capability but there have been mm. some interesting things of like um chimpanzees you know we said 99 percent of our genome with chimpanzees and there was um you know there was there was an article i read where when when a, one chimpanzee got sick the other chimpanzee stayed with that sick chimpanzee all day, all night. And when that chimpanzee actually finally died, that chimpanzee stayed away from the area completely where, you know, from, from where the, the kind of nurturing and the caring was taking place. They stayed away from that part because I guess there was that consciousness, the, you know, the, you know they, they just knew what was happening. They were aware. So, so I do think that there are some, some, some plays on, on the consciousness. I, I know that other species are very similar to us. Like if we're going to, if we're going to kind of relate this back to uh, just humans in general, one thing I like to really, really laugh about is that humans and dolphins, we, we are like some of the only species that play around and like have sex to not procreate, right? There's, there's other species out there that, 
they just they do it and they die. Um, so what's that? Dolphins and humans, you're saying? Dolphins and humans. There was one reported case where a dolphin wrapped uh, uh, an electric eel around its penis just to to get the pleasures of <laughs> masturbation. If you can find how crazy that is, albeit this is in the zoo, you know, like I'm sure these animals are not in their natural habitat and something some some neural chemistry changes with an animal in the zoo but there was also another one there was a sea otter who drowned its female um female like their, their love and they actually kept the female body to copulate with you know so the, the animals they, they, we're certainly not the only species that engages in non-reproductive sex but hey, that's the definition of animalistic right there that is absolutely <laughs> wild <laughs> zoo behavior is very weird we'll say that and and i'm glad sea world's getting cancelled now because there, sh- there should not be a a gigantic blue whale not a blue whale like you know the killer dolphins they should uh, the killer whales they shouldn't be in there they shouldn't be in that habitat you know it's mm-hmm. just not good it's not good you're a product of your environment yeah and us i think we're all as we get older good shed leader where you know we get to our 30s our friendship circle decreases we know what's good for us we know the people that inspire us and give us that positive energy the, the body's absolutely. responsive to that absolutely all right so enough um enough of the zoo life podcast let's move back to the shed um all right you know something i read um <laughs> something i read recently uh steve horvath and oh, the yeah. uh horvath aging clock Oh, Mate, yeah. that Horvath aging quote, I think you need to explain to other listeners what that is because that sounds freaking amazing. Really that's, interesting stuff. That's great. That's great that you're, you're tying into that because this guy, this Steve Horvath, who's de- developed the, you know, he's kind of coined the epigenetic clock. And just to, just to refresh the audience of what the epigenetics are, this is the overlaying layer on top of your genome that regulates gene expression on off. So it's basically like t- chemical modifications to dna is wrapped around these things called histones that's this we know what a chromosome is um if you look in with a magnifying glass you'll see that dna is actually spooled around um nucleosomes these little proteins that like they kind of look like building blocks and dna is wrapped around them so chemical modifications will come and they'll basically bind to histones and they'll basically open up that that histone and the dna will unwind which makes it accessible to now to 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 either express a gene or to downregulate a gene, and that's what kind of that that mechanism changes as you get older. The unspooling, the spooling, all of that gets deregulated, and the DNA just becomes super funky. So um, the epigenetics is a key key factor for aging, and the epigenetic clock. So we have two ages: we have our chronological age, and we have something called our biological age or our epigenetic age. I am 28 years old. That is my chronological age. But my biological age can be different depending on my lifestyle decisions, um, hereditary factors. Like, think, did my parents smoke? Did my parents' parents smoke? It goes way, way back. Um, you know, just lifestyle choices, my diet, uh, do I smoke? Just the general care, like the general care of your human body will change your epigenetic age. And they have something now, he developed something called the grimace, the grimace, grimace test. So what you can do now is really cool. I, I really, I really suggest that your users maybe go and do this to see how they're doing on that lifetime. You're, you're not predicting when you're going to die. You're just predicting if you're on path with your chronological age. So you just take a blood blood sample. You ship it back to the company. Um, I, I think it's called DNA is the test, and they will then send you. I don't know how long it takes, but they'll send you back your epigenetic age. 
and this is based on your your DNA, you, you know, the epigenetics of your uh, that are playing onto your DNA. And that's really cool. Like imagine imagine knowing that you're 28 years old, but actually your epigenetic age is 25. You've now increased your life expectancy by three years by the life decisions you're making. Or you can look at it the reverse. You're 28, but your your epigenetic age is 35. You got to change your life, homie. You're not going to be able to go for that long. So it, I think I think just that kind of interplay and and what's really cool is that there's now human trials coming um, that are looking into this epigenetics. Uh, you know, we're at the stage of human phase one clinical trials uh, that are looking into aging and prolonging life, and it's only 2020 uh, as bad as 2020 is. Wait, so you're saying you're looking into these epi, uh, um, epigenetic uh, ages and stuff. Yeah. Um, what are you actually looking into, though? So you just research them and seeing how you can monitor these ages, or are you actually looking to reverse these ages and um, prolong life, like you might have mentioned? What, what kind of things are you actually looking at? Well, it, it, so the epigenome controls how genes are turned into proteins. Like turning a gene on, you're basically, if you turn a gene on, protein is going to get made from that uh that gene like that's the whole reason you turn a gene on pro to make protein protein goes and does something we have tons and tons of proteins so once a protein gets turned on you know subsequently tissues organs for the whole body th these chemical marks and tags which tag onto the genetic sequence which which are like light switches that turn on a gene lamp um the different marks control whether a gene is turned on or off and as the pattern of these tags change it, it that's what implies the changes in your age and so i talking about this human clinical trial because we really have to go into it like it, the human trial it was basically called uh, an immune restoration because it was focusing on the immune system and we, we we all have thymuses right the thymus is a tiny gland that helps nurture the immune white cells the, the white blood cells that go and fight and kill invading pathogens organisms that shouldn't be there um and they, so they fight infections and cancers so the thymus is critical for maintaining the immune system but it's very fragile and as you get older it shrinks after puberty it shrinks and it fills with fatty deposits which which relates to all sorts of immune troubles so i know i'm going to ramble a bit about this but just to get into this human trial like 16 years ago there was a scientist named fahi and he, he found promising studies that used growth hormone to restore the thymus function in animals. And he actually he convinced himself that he found the solution to restoring this organ function. And he, he started doing it on himself. Like he, as a real scientist, he started to test his own body. Um, so, so he jabbed himself with growth hormones and the diabetes drug DHEA. And he found regeneration of his own thymus. So this, this human trial is called the TRIM trial, and it was based on Fahi self-experimentation. Like, uh, it, was, it was for, like, they recruited a group of young, not, sorry, not young white men. They were older young women between the age of 51 and 65, and they dosed them with three drugs, one of them being growth hormone, and the other one being DHEA, and the other one being metformin, which we can talk about as well. And, and this was to combat uh, the high blood sugar, because growth hormone actually, you know, Growth hormone has an adverse side effect for giving you diabetes. If, you, if, if I don't know, I don't know the interplay of it, but um, that's why using DHEA and metformin are, are there to kind of combat that high blood sugar. Um, and they have promising anti-aging effects in animals. So Horvath measured the biological age of each participant in this study, and every time that he found he, he found that this this epigenetic clock rewound. 
that the patient's epigenetic age was on average 1.5 years less than what they actually were when they entered the trial. So, as you know, you said Benjamin Button effect. Rather than aging, they had this Benjamin Button effect. So, it was more like, you know, at nine months of treatment, you would expect the de-aging effect to, to, to kind of decelerate. You, you want to see the, the aging decrease. But the longer they took the, the drug, the faster their epigenetic clock seemed to rewind. And we actually saw a reversal. So, you know, you put 1.5 years, although that's not a long time, you've actually increased someone's lifespan, life expectancy for 1.5 years. And it's the first of many discoveries. So we're just on the, just on the hinge. We're really honing into this. And you need pioneers like that. You need pioneers like Steve Horforth or David Sinclair, who's a, uh, another professor based in California. You need those people to to kind of actually he's not in California sorry he went to MIT so he's on the east coast but you need those people to um you need those people to pioneer this kind of stuff and honestly like I'm 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 talking a lot about the stuff I've read from them I'm very early on in my career but these these guys have been doing this research for 25 years plus they're the experts in it and you know just reading in David Sinclair Steve Horvath you can get some of their recommendations for long increasing your own life expectancy because they actually take some of these drugs like metformin and resveratrol they're now incorporating that in their own human body because they've believed in it so much from these these studies that they're doing in animal models no absolutely and uh, that actually leads me to my next question because i was about to ask about uh david sinclair and um his sort of recommendations or like you said he's kind of taking some of these um drugs himself to help mm -hmm. with this aging reversal uh, so metformin like we we know it's usually uh, usually for diabetics um they kind of have to use it daily i think uh, there's a couple more you mentioned that resveratrol and i think another one which he uses nmn i don't know if you're oh. aware of that one um so those ones what are you saying that this is stuff that we should be taking now to supplement our reversal of aging or something like that along oh. with the lifestyle choices we make well, I definitely have to say, and I, when I watched his interview, he actually said, this is unique to me. And he's just trying to give you that, um, like, I didn't tell you to do this. I do this. Make your own judgment, right? So I have to say that too, because I don't want your audience to then just be like ODing on resveratrol, metformin, and all these drugs, right? Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, because then I'll feel very, very liable and I, that's, that's not what we want. But resveratrol, yeah, you know, you've heard the rumor that, wine is good for you right wine a glass of wine i don't know what the saying is but a glass of wine is good for you i was going to say a glass of wine helps you wine but that's definitely not true um <laughs> wine contains resveratrol and i'm not saying go and drink tons of wine because you would need about 100 glasses of wine a day to get the, the beneficial effects of resveratrol you can actually take resveratrol as a supplement you can commercially buy it um but but resveratrol is said to increase lifespan um, it, it appears to be effective at protecting the heart and blood flow and it may be an insulin sensitizer so look at it this way it doesn't add years to life but may add life to years like that um, and it, you know resveratrol I, I don't know the actual dosage I've kind of forgotten like off the top of the head but but most people that have done their research into resveratrol end up taking it um, you know and and just kind of I guess resveratrol and the interplay of stress, like, you know, I've said that 
the body should be stressed, but you don't you want you want cellular stress. You don't want to be you don't want to be like stressed all the time. How do you make the body feel under adversity? How do you get this stress? Like, do you know if I told you, dear shed leader, how to feel stressed? Would you know? Like all the things I'm talking about, do you know how to go and and get that stress? Uh, well, again, like I said, like reading up on some of Davis Sinclair's stuff, I think I'm, I know what you're alluding to in the sense of trying to get yourself a bit out of breath and make yourself cold and shiver and, you know, put your body through, yeah, like you said, stress, but not over, overly stressed where you're really going to damage something, but just give that sort of shock kind of sensations, stuff like that, I'm guessing. You, you, you basically want to limit your stress, but you want, you want to get the body to fear adversity, not enough to cause constant damage, or the unspooling of DNA that I mentioned earlier that leads to DNA damage and inevitably death. Uh, it's a fine line. You want to be under stress certain moments of the day, certain moments of the week. You want to skip a meal or two. You want to have a day where you don't eat at all. That's why I think a lot of people are looking into intermittent fasting or ketosis, keeping your body in ketosis. It's that kind of ingrained, it's that stress that you create in your environment that leads to the body having to, you know, kind of, be prepared and I now so what I do now is I take a shower and for the last two minutes I blast that shower on cold like freezing cold to create that stress in my body um I don't know mm. the effects of it that's really good for your skin I know right yeah, I think yeah. I've heard that's it's really good for your skin as well isn't it Cause it cleans out the pores which the, exactly, the steam exactly. and the heat open up and one thing with the pandemic is that we now have time to to care for our skin I exfoliate twice a day I brush my teeth three times a day now. You know, you know what I mean? There's so many things that we can now do because we have the time for it. Or maybe it's that we appreciate the simple things much more in life since we're now confined to our homes. So well, there you go. You've got a lot more time, isn't it? As exactly, you mentioned. exactly. You know, wasting and, and time driving here and there and the other. With, with the stress and, and uh, you know, just putting your body in that stress, you know, when, when David Sinclair was talking about the animals and making them feel hungry, he found that when you let animals go hungry by giving them like 25% a decrease in calorific intake, so constantly making them hungry, he found that it extended their lifespan by 30%. So it, That's it, crazy. It, it's kind of that, but, but again, he said that the, the, the mice were really pissed off if you constantly kept them in starvation mode. So he actually said a pulsing of, you know, hunger engorgement then starvation hunger engorgement starvation and that's kind of what i'm trying to say is that don't don't always be in stress but pulse it give yourself that stress for one day out of the week where you feel a bit erratic you you you're you're doing something your body's not used to and you know make you, you then you do that for a couple of months do that for a year then do this age you know the epigenetic age test see where you're at did your age did your longevity increase like you're kind of treating yourself as your own experiment, and it's a, it's unfortunate that you can't have a a twin because one of the cool things about epigenetics is that when you have identical twins and you put them in different environments, like you have one twin that is you know these are identical, right? So you've got one twin that is very fit, very active. You got the other twin that eats a lot, is unhealthy, doesn't do any fitness, and then you compare them twenty years down the line, you do this epigenetic test, you will see a difference. You know, you have this, as I said, you have the same genome, but the epigenome, the gene expression, the gene patterns changes. And that older, unhealthy, unfit person 
they will probably die younger than the healthy individual. So it's a so fine where, where, where line. Can, where can we get this test from that you mentioned? I, know, I think you mentioned DNA earlier. Is this the company you're talking about? I'm pretty sure. You know, I want to I Google it right now. I want to make sure that it is uh, DNA when I watched it. Um, DNA. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you called, give us... It's called MyDNA. So the website is www.mydnage.com, M-Y-D-N-A-G-E. And, you know, they send you the kit. You basically prick yourself with the, uh, the, the finger test. Uh, when I saw the guy do it on YouTube, a lot of blood was drawn. You draw up that blood, you put it in a tube, you send it off, and then however many weeks you get the results. This is an endorsement to DNA, my DNA. So if anyone yeah. from my DNA is listening, uh, yeah. feel free to send, send us a lawnmower or something for the shed. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Exactly, exactly. And I haven't done the test yet, so I'm not, I'm not endorsed to say any of these good things. I just thought it was very cool to, uh, yeah. to see that, to see that. Awesome. Awesome, man. All right. Well, we talked a lot about this. Stuff. What, one more thing, which, um, I wanted to ask uh, in regards to Dave Sinclair's studies, uh, he mentioned something called brown fat and the benefits of brown fat or utilizing brown fat. I don't know if you can talk to us anything or know much about that. We can give us an insight on that. Yeah. Wow. I love it. I love it. You're already testing my skill. I'm having to go in deepest, darkest corners of my brain and trying to regurgitate information. <laughs> I'm trying <laughs> so, to get you to so increase I'm this 20%. Yeah, what, from when I from what I know about brown fat, right? And it, I, I haven't read too much into it. Don't 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 test me too much. But I, from what I know is fats. We we know about fats. We know I know that when I'm picking up food, I look at the back of that. I look at the back of that uh, container and I look at seeing what's that fat content, how much lipids, how much unsaturated fats, and you want to limit that, right? Um, but then you got good fats. I read that brown fat is very good for you. And it's good to have brown fat. Um, but you know, there's, there's fats and the buildup of bad fats. That's what leads to diseases because of the constriction of your blood vessels. You have the buildup of atherosclerotic plaque and you know, your blood vessels get smaller and smaller and smaller and it leads to a blood vessel burst, which or a brain hemorrhage, or it leads to, um, you know, it leads to a heart attack because you didn't get enough blood flow to the heart. And, and brown fat is an example of good fats that you should have. I don't know exactly why it's good fat. But I know more about why fat is bad just because it will lead to this restriction of blood vessels and lead to, to improper um, oxygenation of organs, which, which will lead, you know, which, which kind of is a cascade of bad things, which inevitably leads to, to, a, to a heart attack or a stroke when you're when unable to oxygenate your cells in those organs. He knows a lot. David yeah. Sinclair, like reading some of his stuff has really enlightened me and just understood on a deeper level my thesis. and trying to relate understanding these aging concepts to my thesis it really it really is beneficial and what's great i hate reading i'm not going to lie like i've read so many papers during this pandemic but turning on a youtube video or a podcast such as yourself good shed leader these are these are really these are really easy simplistic ways just to tune in tune out get what you want from it come back to it you don't need to stick to a to a book as as much as you know the olden days books are fantastic that's how that's how information passes on the generations really but but we're at we're at the peak of technological advancement right now. So, you know, just going on putting on a YouTube video, watch David Sinclair, watch Steve Porvar, see how it relates to you, see how it relates to your family. Lord knows I'm gonna try and you know share this podcast with my family members and say, Hey, these are some of the things that you should go you guys should be aware of because you are getting older. 
you know and 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 oh, absolutely yeah you you make good point i think anyone who wants to know more about this um this kind of stuff around aging and the science behind it steve horvath and uh, david sinclair good starting points definitely you learn a lot from listening or reading their material i will tell you this i will tell you that it is a really it's a really humbling feeling once you come to terms with the fact that you are going to die it's scary but once you make that realization that life is not forever like we we do have a purpose and and you know the saying live every day like it's your last right like it's it's it just it just hits home it it hits home when you lose a family member and you know the best case scenario is that they live up to 90 up to 100 up you know 80 plus sadly life gets cut short because of factors that we can't really control like you could get hit by a bus or you could make bad life decisions that lead i, I hate when my friends smoke I, i'm doing a phd in lung regeneration and i've got so many friends that smoke cigarettes and it really hurts to see that because i'm reading papers on how many genes carcinogenic like the the effects of carcinogens on your genes and like the gene interplay genes turning on turning off which leads to cancer it's crazy it's crazy and like, i just find it so silly that someone will actually pay money to give them you know just just beating around the bush you're paying money to give yourself cancer you don't get any you don't get any benefit from smoking a cigarette and i know that i know it's 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 hard to quit because of the nicotine nicotine addiction like you've actually increased nicotine receptors on your brain so you need nicotine uh, and my brother smokes my brother smoked i don't know if he smokes now but he smoked for a number of years and he told me if i ever catch you smoking i will kill you uh and that that hit home for me from 16 years old and you you know there there has been the, the one time here or there where I have socially smoked, but I've never been addicted to anything, any substance because I'm very proud of having the capability to say to myself no no and that's that's willpower that's we all have that ability some people have addictive personalities, but I guess it's the it's the kind of awareness that you're becoming addicted to something to say, "Stay away, this isn't good for me, stay away." You know, and that, that turns on more of the, awesome. I guess, philosophy and 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 just just there's so many things that go on in our human body, and everyone's different. Don't get me wrong; I wasn't trying to offend anyone, but you really got to be passionate about your own body and taking care of your body, and just just trying to live a good, wholesome, healthy life. I know you yourself; you were on that that diet of eating whole grains and vegan on a different level, right? Like you were doing that for a while. Yeah, I've tried. I've, I've, tried all that stuff yeah tried a multitude of things and you're right um it, it's about sticking with it and uh stuff you do get addicted to is obviously um it's not good but um yeah no there's you're right lifestyle choices are the key i guess in all this uh human health and i don't know reversal of aging like you're talking about that that's where you start first isn't it where you start looking into pharmaceuticals and maybe special drugs or absolutely limitless pills that like you mentioned but I may be all right. Well, listen. I may take them. Tell your audience, shed leader. Tell them about these. Yeah, well, they're, they're, they're listening to you. They're listening. <laughs> so, um, I'm aware we have hit our limit with you. Um, I know you're a very busy guy. Um, any last words or thoughts for our audience before we uh, let you go? Well, I, I guess tying into the, the where we're at in life right now, pandemic and all. I guess I guess everyone's staying stay home you know well that's it really stay home that that would be my first message <laughs> <laughs> stay home don't go out 
but, <laughs> but but in the time that you're being at home find something find some, find a new skill learn about yourself more learn about what you like what you what you love what you don't love that's what i've tried to do i've i've actually i've done a lot of growth in the last uh month and a half i've 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 personally you know reflected back on messages emails certain things that i know that i mindset that I was in when I was 20 years old to where I'm at now the growth that I've done the things that I've read the expertise that I've gained um I think it's a great time to to really hone in on a skill or learn something new about yourself and and just try and treat your body like a temple you know gymming I've started running you know I just said stay home but the only time I leave is to buy groceries or to go on a uh, a social distance run when I say social distance, I'm running on myself, like on my ones. So go and do that. Like it's, and, and it's crazy. If you look at the brain, the, your brain activity, when you just go on a comparing to like sitting in a room or going on a 20 minute walk, you can see the spike in brain activity that you have. It's, it's insane. So just do these kind of things. Cause when we hit 40, it's just the human body is not built to last forever. So we are going to start declining at 40 years old. We'll start to lose our vision. We'll start to lose memories. We're, which is okay, but like once you come to realize that the that our time is not in infinity and beyond, you'll start to appreciate every day as it comes along, and you'll start to appreciate life, and you start to appreciate friendships. I appreciate you a lot for having me on this on this show. You know, like that's I I haven't been on a podcast. I loved it. I would love to do it again. Let's see where we're at in a couple of years when I finish my doctorate. Well, there we go, man, and uh, we appreciate you coming on, and it's been very insightful. I'm sure the listeners have learned a lot and we'll most definitely will get you back on soon. So um, thanks once again, mate. Thank you. Good shed leader. Thank you for guidance. <laughs> All right, people. Thanks for listening. Um, yeah. Tune in next time. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Mic drop.